Morning. Good to see you all today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your day of worship and rest and for a time to hear your word. We pray that you would act through the preaching of your word on our hearts and that you would be with me as I speak and that you would bless us today. We pray for all those in our congregation who are sick and suffering. Pray in particular for Jean LaCroix and ask that you would bring him through chemo and that you would you would heal his body completely. Pray for our mothers who are pregnant and the babies they're carrying, that you would bring them safely to delivery. And we pray again that you would be with us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So today is another Faith of Our Father sermon. And I don't remember how many of these we've gone through, but we've gotten, we've gotten Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and Joshua. No, Joshua is today. Joseph, Joseph was a couple weeks ago. And today, we're in the time of Joshua. Joshua is Moses' successor. And we could easily spend a sermon just on him, but we'll actually only touch on him today. Today, we're going to talk more about Rahab. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who switched loyalties, and became the lone survivor of Jericho, along with her family. This is a story of a woman who deserved to die for her sins, but her faith saved her. So in order to get to her, I want to go back for just a minute to Moses, because it's helpful to remember how we got here. Nathan summarized his epic career last week. Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt He led them through the wilderness and through the middle of the Red Sea and led them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. And the people said, no, no, forget it. Forget the whole thing. The people in there are too scary. They're too big. We can't face them. They'll kill us. And what the people were really saying, of course, is the same kind of thing they said over and over again as they they journeyed, which was, we don't trust God. (laughs) Are you kidding Faith? For real? No. No, no, God cannot be trusted. Again and again, we feel like he's brought us out here to die. And we, we, it doesn't matter how many times you save us, or conquer an army, or give us water or food where there's no water or food. It doesn't matter how many miracles there are. Forget it. Trusting God is a thing we're not going to do. In fact, I wish we were still slaves in Egypt. I wish we could just go back and die in Egypt. That's what I want. And that's the people's attitude. And it was their attitude when God brought them right to the land he promised to give them. And so they said no. They rebelled. When they rebelled at that very point of entering the promised land, that's when God was so angry. He said, all right, you guys take a minute. Take 40 years until all of this adult generation is dead. And I'll bring your kids in instead. I'll bring your kids in instead. And that's what happened. All but, all but two men from that original generation, Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. Joshua was Moses' assistant. He was always with Moses. He was meeting with God when Moses met with God because there he was when God came down and talked to Moses like a man talks to his friend. And so Joshua saw all of this. Joshua had faith. Caleb had faith. Because of that, God said, you will go in. You get to go in. 
You, you, you might remember even Moses committed a sin against God that was severe enough that God said, Moses, the best you're going to get is to see it. I'm not letting you go in either. So think of all the anticipation. I mean, you start with Genesis, right? Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And then, once God picks Abraham out of his family and makes Abraham the seed of a new people, the promise is what? I'm going to give you this land. This is going to be your home. The promised land. I'm going to give it to your descendants. You're going to have to wait. And so we're waiting and waiting through five books. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you keep going. You're getting closer and closer and closer. God says, oh, by the way, Abraham, your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And then, then I'll bring them into the land. Oh, we've been waiting and waiting. You had all that time of slavery in Egypt. Finally, finally we get there. The people are like, nope. So we're still waiting 40 more years. And now this younger generation whose parents all died, they seem to have faith. It seems like finally, after all these centuries, they're actually going to go into the promised land. They actually fear God. They actually trust God. So as the book of Joshua opens, it's right after the death of Moses. The people are ready. Let's go. Here we are. And this is where we're going to meet Rahab. So let me start reading in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Okay, so now you met Rahab. She is a prostitute in the city of Jericho. Who knows what's about to happen to Jericho? What's, what's about to happen? Walls are going to come tumbling down. Probably learned this story in Sunday school. All right. Now Jericho, what is Jericho like? Well, it's full of people who don't love God. They don't serve God. They have their own gods. They have idols. They're pretty evil. They kill their own children. They sacrifice them to their false gods. They sleep around a lot. Sex, in fact, was a big part of religion for the people in the land of Canaan. So, kind of like, I don't know, America. <laughs> kind of like 21st century America. It's always good to remember that these people and their sins are the ones that we have in our country and in our churches, and that they're the sins we're tempted to, right? You don't want to create too much distance between yourselves and the evil people that you meet in the Bible. It's a bad idea. Their society was in some ways like ours. Now, for some reason, this woman is on the side of Israel. 
She's betraying her own people. She's lying to the king of Jericho. When you betray your country and you lie to the government, there's a word for that. What's, what's the word? Treason, right. In America, that might carry a death sentence if you're a traitor, right? What's going on? I mean, I'm sure she would have been killed if the king had figured it out, right? Well, she's hiding them. She's like on their side. But she goes to great lengths to hide them. She puts her life at risk. I mean, this is the first thing that we see. Here's this lady. Why does she care? She's one of the enemy. Why does she care? Why is she hiding these guys? Let's read on and find out why. Joshua 2, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So now we know. Now we know what's going on in this woman's heart. Why is she done? with her own people? Why is she renouncing them? Well, she knows that God is at work. She knows that God has given the land she lives in to Israel, and that because of that, everyone around her is under a sentence of death. They might as well be dead already. She's afraid. She's afraid. Everyone is afraid. They've heard the news about what God has done. Think about this. They heard about the Red Sea parting, they heard about it swallowing up the army of Egypt in the chariots. And they heard about these two kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og. Isn't that a great name for an evil king? Og. I think it's pretty good. These guys, these guys died. Uh, they, these kings attacked the people in the book of Numbers. They get wiped out. Now, if you destroy three powerful kings and their armies, you send a few ripples out, Right? into the world. 
the power players are like, what's going on with that? What just happened? Three kings and their powerful armies are, da- are down. What's going on? Uh, I mean, aren't these guys former slaves from Egypt? They're like wandering through the desert. How did they just take down three kings and their armies? Right? Okay, imagine that you got word tomorrow that Canada had started sending armies, mounties, I imagine, uh, across the borders of our northern states. So the Canadians come down into Minnesota, strategic location, Minnesota, and led by a force of Mounties. Minnesota is like, what are you doing? The federal government of the United States is like, what are you doing? So naturally, we mass our forces, and we have a lot of them, and we send a handful at least, like, deal with these Mounties, I guess, I don't know. So you got the state patrol probably of Minnesota, you've got you've got a contingent of, of, of army men. Maybe you've got some jets, right? They send them to Minnesota. And the Canadian Mounties, they go, they ride in battle to meet the forces of the United States. If anyone's from Canada here, don't take offense, you know. But it's pretty funny. And then we're like wondering what is going on as we you know, listen to the news here in Indiana. And then we hear, we hear this report and we see some documentary footage. And we see that the waters of Lake Superior rose up and swallowed up all of our soldiers and batted our jets out of the sky, and that thousands of our dudes were annihilated. And that the, the Canada is now like, yeah, we have Minnesota, and we're moving out, actually. God gave us the rest of your country. And we start to get reports from other states of strange things happening. Suddenly, we're a little freaked out, right? We're a little freaked out. you got to put yourself in the shoes of these people. They understood that something was up. They understood that God was at work. They know that God's chosen people are marching towards them. I think they have heard a report of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, we don't all know them in order, right? But how hard are they really to remember the basic idea? There's ten simple no's. No. God says no to this. You hear that too. You hear that in the evening news. If you're in Jericho, you hear about God, God came down and he gave this people his own law. God came down and no, one, no God has done that. And the law, that law condemns what we do here in Jericho. That law is like the opposite of what we are. It's it's against all of our national values, like prostitution and child sacrifice and all the things that we value. And now this God is like saying that our land belongs to him. He's giving it to his people. Well, everyone's hearts melt because of this. Everyone is scared. And except for Rahab and except for one other tribe, but that's a whole other story, Everyone in Canaan, are they going to be like, we want to make peace with you? We've learned that apparently we're really evil. We've learned that you, God, are great. We just want terms of peace. Is that their response? No way. No way. No way. 
They're not about to stop defying God. Their, their lives are built around opposing God. Their lives are built around sin. They're not going to stop. And they don't, they're going to spend every last man in battle fighting God's people. And I think that's because they realize that this is actually a judgment of their sin. Which it is. Which it is. This is what you're reading about when you read the book of Joshua, of Judges, like it or not, what you're reading about is holy war. This is God's holy war on sin. The sin of Canaan and its inhabitants. Let me read from Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 5. This is Moses speaking to the people just before he dies. He gives a long sermon about God's law and God's promises, and he gives the people some marching orders for taking the promised land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, And show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. Now hear what you hear and see what you see when you come to a passage of scripture like this. The nation of Israel is going to serve as God's executioners. They're going to carry out his sentence of wrath. God is pouring out his wrath. And so, the people of Jericho are all going to die. Man and woman and child. There will be no mercy. And that's God's instructions. This is going to happen again and again. And it can make the book of Joshua a pretty uncomfortable thing to read. It's going to happen again and again. And is this the same God, right, that we know? The God of mercy who forgives our sins and makes his enemies his sons and daughters. Is this the same God? Is this a different God? Did he change? No. No, this is the same God. It, having God as our Father doesn't make God not scary. God is scary. God hates sin. He doesn't tolerate it. He's holy. That's what makes him scary to sinners. He's holy. That's what's hard for us to reckon with. And I, I mean, as I was thinking about all of this and this story, I, 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 I just kept asking myself, do I really believe that I deserve to die because of my sin? Do I really think that's fair? I deserve, to, I deserve wrath. These people deserve wrath. I deserve it. Because... Clearly, what God teaches is that we do have something in common with the people of Canaan. It's that we do deserve to die for our sins. We were born in sin. From the moment that we were little bitty embryos that you could only see through a microscope, we were under a sentence, under a curse because of what Adam did. We were under a sentence of death. And in our hearts, from the time that we're little, we carry that around. Insofar as we're conscious of what we are and what we've done, we carry it. We feel it. 
and we feel that we're rebels against God. I mean, it's, you know the ways that you've sinned. You know what you've done. You can, you can bring it to mind now. You can bring to mind painful things that you regret. You can bring to mind stuff this week you regret. It's not very hard to do. You mouthed off at your parents. Okay? You looked at evil things on the internet. You've been bitter. You've hated someone, murdering them in your heart. Maybe you've been like Rahab. You have dark sexual sin in your past. Maybe you're like Rahab and you come from a messed up family. God makes peace with sinners. Amen? He makes peace with us. I mean, he forgives us. He cleans us up. He restores us. He redeems us. But how? How does he do it? Well, by making war with sin. (laughs) He makes a holy war with sin when he sends Jesus to the cross. And it's the same wrath that sent the people of Israel marching through Canaan to kill them is the wrath that God poured out on Jesus on the cross. And you have to see that. This is the same God and the same justice. And we have peace with God because God poured out his wrath on Jesus. And those are the two choices. Either either God's justice spends itself on his son for you. Or one day, you will bear it. You will bear it. And this is a picture of it. We're about to read about the destruction of Jericho. It's an ugly mess, and it is what they deserved, and it's what we deserve. We get a lot of pictures of it in the Bible. We don't like those pictures. Sometimes you like to turn the page quicker. Just read over that. Let's not dwell on it too much. No one wants to see the end they deserve pictured again and again. But God is not shy about what he's done in history. He's not shy about giving us pictures and warnings. God hates sins. And Rahab doesn't say, I don't deserve this. You know, the kids in the city don't deserve this. She doesn't say, what does she say? She says, save me. Save me. Please. How can I be saved? I just want to be saved. I want to know that I can and will be saved from what God is going to do, from his wrath. I want to know. Let's talk it out until I know, until we have a plan and an agreement. I want to be saved. Is that our response to Jesus? When we hear the message of sin and forgiveness, is our response, that doesn't seem entirely fair, (laughs) is our response, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. You're God. You're the God who made us. You're the God who made us. You have a right to do as you please. I just want to be saved. And we see her faith in this story. We see that she confesses he's the true God. And and then she risks her life. She risks her life. Faith, remember, is this hidden underground thing. And you can't see it until it pops up out of the soil of your heart. And it starts to grow and produce fruit. Then you can see it, right? It's this invisible thing. And God likes to see it. God wants to see it. And with Rahab... We see it. There it is. Skin in the game. She hides the spies. She has faith. And it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore from that point on who she is, what she's done, what her past is like, that she has a messed up background. It does not matter. Because she has faith. Rahab is the worst of the worst. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that. 
Rahab is the worst of the worst, kind of like Mary Magdalene in the New Testament. This woman that Jesus cast seven demons out of may have been a prostitute. She's like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mary Magdalene is close to Jesus. And God just brings Rahab into a completely new life. I mean, faith is simple. What, what did Rahab do to outweigh the evil of her whole life? Her career, right? Her career is sin. What did she do? Was hiding the spies enough to outweigh a whole lifetime of sin or something? Was it enough to outweigh one sin, really? No, it wasn't that. I mean, she went to some trouble. She risked her life, but really? No. What God saw that he liked was faith. And the moment that God gave her the gift of faith was the moment that her old life was over and her new life started. Before the city even fell, her old life was gone and her new life had started. And she had a total break with who she used to be. And she was about to see her old life die in this really graphic and intense way, a way that not a lot of us, I bet, have gotten to see when we became Christians. Here's what happens next in her story. The spies get away safely, and they go back to Joshua and say, looks great, and everyone is scared of us because of what God has done. Joshua's like, okay, let's go. They cross the Jordan in a miraculous crossing that's kind of like the crossing of the Red Sea, and they go to Jericho. And Jericho is this giant, heavily fortified city with thick walls, and God has given them special instructions to take Jericho down. I grew up hearing this story. They march around the city, what? Once a day for six days. It's very impressive military maneuvering. Of course, the point is it's not. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This too takes... Faith. It takes faith. And then on the seventh day, they do something different. I'll start reading in Joshua 6.15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people Heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house. And bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. 
Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I mean, can you imagine how she felt walking out of her house right then? It's hard to imagine. There are all the dead bodies. There are the ruins of the city. Old life gone. No going back to that life. It's dead. It's completely, the wrath of God is all around her. She, gets, she just sees it. But she's alive. She's safe. And she knew that God had redeemed her life and made it his own. Not because she deserved it, but because she trusted him. I mean, this is dramatic stuff. You might have a pretty dramatic testimony of being saved by God. I know some of you do. Some of us don't. I don't. For instance, here's my story of my Christian life. I grew up in the church. I made a profession of faith really early at age three in front of the laundry machine. My mom is here today and she remembers that one. And then from there on, it's kind of a muddle. Was I a Christian? Well, there's a lot of evidence in my life that makes it look like maybe not. And then there's some evidence that makes it look like, yeah, yeah, you were. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I say. At some point, I'm pretty sure I was a Christian and I grew in the faith. All right, that's, that does not need to be a feature film. Let me tell you. It's just not that interesting. Some of you have feature film type stories and it's great. But listen, whether you have any drama in your Christian testimony or not, you have to realize that what happened to you when you put your faith in Christ, at whatever age you did it, last week, when you were three, it was what happened to you then, it was just as intense as what happened to Rahab. It was just as intense. If you know Jesus, you have a new life, and you are a new person. And you may be a weak new person, welcome to the club, but you are a new person. Your old life, your old self, it's gone, it's in ruins, it's like Jericho. Whatever evil you did before you became a Christian, it's gone. It's buried. Jesus took it. I mean, in this world that's full of sin, it's not your home any more than Jericho was still Rahab's home. It's the same thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's one more, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's an intense contrast. Doesn't matter what kind of sinner you were. That's what you were. That's not what you are. You're in Jesus. And the contrast comes with a warning. God won't be mocked. We can't say, I have the new life, and then say, I'm hanging on to the old life too. God doesn't, God doesn't buy it. God, God knows who's his. A new life is a new life. And I bet Rahab and her family had a whole lot to work through. 
getting integrated into Israel, coming to know the true God more and more, I bet it was pretty, pretty hard. I bet the old life was still clinging to them in a lot of ways. I bet Rahab was tempted towards sexual sin. It's just a guess. But she was new. She was new. She was some, something else, someone else. And the parts of our old life still cling to us. If you grew up in the church, if you didn't, that, that old life that's in this world is still clinging to you and you have to fight it. In God's holy war, it's still going on. It goes on in your heart. You fight it with the Spirit of God. You fight your sins. You confess them. Even if they're awful, you keep going. That's holy war. We have a song that we sing. Oh, great God, it has a line that I really like. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. That guy was picking up this idea, right, from Joshua. It's what this is. And one last thing. When God saves us, he doesn't just kind of save us from wrath and then forget about us. He makes us a part of his people. And each of us is kind of insignificant in our way. If you don't feel like you're insignificant, well, you are. But on the other hand, you're pretty significant because God made you a part of his people and he gave you a part to play that builds up the body and that will make a difference eternally, forever, no matter how weak you are. Rahab, Rahab gets this place of honor and privilege just because she trusted God. She's, she's the mother of Boaz. Boaz, if you were here for Ruth's sermon, you might remember, he marries Ruth. He marries Ruth. She's an ancestor of King David, who's an ancestor of, yeah, Jesus. Someone whispered, yes, an ancestor of Jesus. So she's, she becomes part of the bloodline of the Messiah. Why did God write her story that way? Probably to remind us that this is what he actually delights to do. He's going to take people who are on the very outside and who have the worst reputation and the most sin and deserve it the least of any of us, so to speak. And he's going to say, you'll be remembered forever. As someone that I loved and as someone who built up my people, you'll be remembered forever. All of us who trust in Christ will be remembered forever because we'll be there with Jesus and we'll see what he's done with our lives and we'll, we'll get to know each other's stories. He likes to save sinners. He likes to save the weak. He likes to save the humble. He likes to lift them up and honor them because that's the kind of God that he is. So whatever, whatever you are and whatever sins you have, all you have to do is be like Rahab. You just have to have some faith. You have to have faith, put your faith in God. And you will be blessed. You'll be honored. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Rahab's story. Thank you for saving her. Thank you for reminding us that what you require of us is just faith. And I pray that all of us in here, from young to old, would have faith. Put our faith in you. And do it on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Help us, help us to fight your holy war through your spirit. And help us, God, to tell other people about what you have done for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.